0: Are you interested in learning more about what Indigenous wellness liaisons and advocates do? Are you considering adding an Indigenous health-focused role in your team or your PCN? Yeah, me too. Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia.
1: I'm Sarah, a medical anthropologist and team member in the Innovation Support Unit in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia.
0: And I'm Morgan a family doctor, and also a team member in the Innovation Support Unit.
1: Morgan, we're now over halfway through our roll call season, and it seems like people are really enjoying this deep dive into roles. We had our most downloaded month ever.
0: Yes, it seems like people are really enjoying this, and it's resonating, which is great to hear.
1: Well, I think I was really excited that we're talking about the Indigenous Wellness Liaison role today, because in our own team, we're just wrapping up an eight-week reflective process focused on different aspects of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, what we call JEDI.
0: Yeah, the timing couldn't be better. We've just finished this one. I think this is our fourth that we've done as a group, and we continue to do these throughout our ISU work. But today's episode, we're going to highlight the Indigenous-specific primary care roles. And I'm really interested in learning and hearing from our guests who have a lot to share. They've got really different experiences and have shared a lot of wisdom for us for the podcast.
1: Yeah, and I think this episode is going to feel a little bit different than some of our previous episodes, as we're going to be taking on much more of an active learner role here. I have limited experience with Indigenous-focused primary care roles and was really just so humbled during our interviews with our guests about their work. I think we're going to be doing more listening than talking in this episode.
0: That sounds good. And who are we going to hear from today?
1: So we spoke with two people for today's episode. First, Gracie Kelly, whose family roots are with the Suwali and Haklip First Nations. She's a cultural safety and humility facilitator, educator, and Indigenous advocate who works with the Chilliwack Division of Family Practice as an Indigenous Relations Manager for the PCN.
2: So I'm Gracie Kelly, Indigenous Relations Manager with the Chilliwack Division of Family Practice and also the Primary Care Network region from Boothroyd to Chilliwack, supporting Indigenous communities. So welcome, everybody. I'm on the traditional territory of the Sawali community, which is one of the members of the Chowayak tribe. We also include Métis and Inuit. My role is to support health and wellness integration and really promoting traditional wellness practices, integrating Ministry of Health funding to support the Indigenous communities. Also ensuring both urban and away from home are being taken care of. So my work is supporting Indigenous, ensuring cultural safety and humility practices have been integrated from the voices of the Indigenous of what they would like to see and change and really promote Indigenous coming into receiving health care. And we also spoke with Raina Thurmer, who was born and raised in Whitehorse,
1: Yukon, and is a member of the Wikwemekong First Nation of Manitoulin Island in northern Ontario. Now, Raina has since left this position to go back to school, and this is exciting. She's been accepted into medical school. But when we spoke, she was the Indigenous wellness advocate with the Comox Valley PCN, working out of her office located on the Comox First Nation. So
3: my name's Raina Nakomas-Thurmer. I'm born and raised in Whitehorse, Yukon on the traditional territory of the Dun First Nation and the Ta'an Kwech'an Council. And I'm currently working for Island Health and the local primary care network as the Indigenous Wellness Advocate. And I'm working on the traditional unceded territory of the Comox First Nation and supporting, I believe it's nine clinics that we have in the valley that are working with the primary care network here so I'm working with those clinics as well as a local health connections clinic and then also with kind of the greater community here the scope of the work is quite large it can be anything from helping someone navigate non-insured health benefits or first nations health authority to You know, we get a lot of people reaching out, asking for support with helping them find counseling supports and maybe they don't feel comfortable reaching out to a social worker or a mental health clinician right away. That might feel like a barrier. It could be anything from helping someone access Red Cross equipment to connecting with their physician about questions they may have or they don't understand, helping complete status card applications or Métis citizenship applications. And then also the more difficult side with the advocacy piece for people that are experiencing very real and challenging barriers in accessing their healthcare, whether it be discrimination, not feeling safe or welcome in spaces, the overwhelming emotions and experiences that can come with accessing Western healthcare in institutionalized settings can be very challenging, understandably for a lot of people, and trying to see how we can really integrate culture, cultural competency, traditional learning, traditional support, traditional medicine, spiritual care into their healthcare and their Western healthcare approach. Because for a lot of people, that isn't even something they know how to ask for because it's never been offered to them.
0: Now, I want to acknowledge the important work FNHA and many of the people from across the whole system are doing to support all. Healthcare providers, to provide more culturally safe care for Indigenous patients. We'll link to some of these efforts in the show notes for this episode.
1: And today we really wanted to focus in on roles that are created specifically to support Indigenous health and wellness, and that are held by Indigenous people within primary care.
0: In my own experience working with different Indigenous support roles, I know they can be quite varied. So what's the scope for these type of roles, Sarah?
1: What we learned, the scope is really, really broad. As you heard from both Raina and Gracie as they introduced themselves and talked about their work spanning the whole system, from supporting individuals to access and care, to embedding kind of cultural safety and humility into care practice, to ensuring appropriate consultation with indigenous communities is happening when care is being designed, and also thinking about how traditional cultural practices of indigenous nations are considered or included in these broader systems. They also, I think, do a lot of work supporting providers and teams in the learning that needs to happen to create cultural safety in primary care.
3: This is not a role that I see myself solely being able to fill. It is a huge collaboration with the local nations and seeing it also as an opportunity to educate. It's a very interesting balance that this role, I think, specifically plays because I am a part of a primary care network team. I'm a team member in these clinics, in these professional settings, but my role is also there to not only support my team, but also support people that don't feel safe in our team setting. Playing both sides of that role comes with its challenges, but I think that's kind of the point, you know? How can we support from within while also helping our team with that learning journey as well?
0: So these roles are both oriented towards the patient, but also very outward facing too, bridging to community and probably really like multiple communities. And that added layer of supporting the learning journey of our colleagues makes this a really complex role to hold. Now, it reminds me a lot of that social worker role in terms of where it sits in the team.
1: That's so true. You know, that kind of community bridge and anchor sort of idea that we heard in the social work episode. And so much of the work that these roles do is also guided by what individual Indigenous patients and communities need. And I think something really foundational to these types of roles is the depth of connection with local Indigenous communities.
2: It's really important that Indigenous teachings or perspectives don't sit in a square box or in a colonial structure. It really is that evolving circle of communication within Indigenous to kind of come back. I may share some ideas of what it is that I'm planning or a conversation that a Indigenous health rep has identified and then network back with traditional wellness mentors that I have. I have one so far that offers traditional wellness practices within the Sacred Space Room I also have a very important team of a traditional teachings advisory, the small group of Indigenous reps and or people supporting Indigenous within our region. These people I'm very honored to share and network and hear guidance, hear thoughtful words of how to continue on with the work in a good way. And what
1: really stood out to me from what Gracie said here is this strong sense of responsibility to how they approach care, meeting every patient at whatever point they're at to ensure that they feel safe. And that this is grounded in an understanding of history and past experiences with care, which, you know, have often been traumatic, culturally unsafe, racist, and potentially even resulting in further harm.
0: Sarah, the view into this is it's not just patient-centric, but then it becomes patient and community and nation-centric. And so there's this whole systems approach to what they're thinking about in their work. And this sort of echoes from the In Plain Sight report, the widespread systemic racism that has been faced by Indigenous peoples in BC across the healthcare system. So it's great to see these roles thinking about many of those aspects.
1: And we'll put a link to those resources and the In Plain Sight report into the show notes as well. And I think what these roles are doing is they're really helping to ensure that Indigenous people can access care that understands history and works to provide really greater safety and care. Gracie shared an example of an individual who was really reluctant to seek care and, through her encouragement, was able to kind of find that space where she could access care safely.
2: I can share an example of somebody who was a little bit reluctant into receiving healthcare. And then I shared with them how there are many foundation training and ongoing cultural safety training. And I shared that please bring any concerns that you have. And here's my card. And if there's a challenge that comes up, please just let me know. And so, with her knowing that there's been so much change throughout. All of the health agencies, she went to her appointment, she said, with new perspective, new thinking. And she said from the very beginning, from the MOA approach, with the questions to the care of the health professional, she said, I now continue to return and I now continue to share that we are safe and that it's okay to go now to get health care.
0: Reina has a story about providing more ways to access care and patients may not be comfortable in a clinic setting.
3: So I am able to travel between the clinics as needed based on bookings, but also based on preference for the clientele that we work with. It is really great to offer virtual over the phone or at my office at the Comox First Nation, recognizing that clinic spaces may be an area where they require support or feel uncomfortable accessing it sometimes. So giving them other options to meet and convene has been really great. And I am finding that when presented with the option to meet outside of clinic, a lot of people are choosing that option.
0: We all need to consider how clinics can actually be structural barriers to care and also critical to think about our relationships. And I think Indigenous support workers actively build trust through the relationship building that they do. And this is true as I was reflecting both that individual and across the whole system.
1: You know, Morgan, this really reminds me of something that happened to me early on in my research career. I was working with the Council of Yukon First Nations and gathering some feedback around access to care and what the challenges were for community members and hearing a story about, you know, they'd built this new health center. It was super shiny. It had all the things and nobody was coming. And going out and connecting with community and realizing it was a very medical building, you walked in and there was a plexiglass sheet that separated the MOA sitting at the front desk Mm -hmm. from the waiting room. There was like all of these barriers that were actually very real and there was a whole bunch of cultural reasons why. People were just really feeling unsafe. And then it was so wonderful to see what kind of small changes they were able to make to this clinical setting to make it feel less clinical, to make it more accessible, Mm -hmm. to really intentionally think about what are those cultural barriers and then work on dismantling them.
0: Small changes can have a big difference. Big changes are needed too. But I think we also saw in our immunization project, the IMPACT project, where communities were finding small ways to reduce structural barriers for different marginalized groups, including indigenous peoples, to allow better access to vaccine.
1: And then there's also the relationship-building side of things, right? And this is something that Raina really emphasized.
3: I'm a huge people person. And I think that's probably why I crave being in clinics, being able to build relationships with the physicians as they come in and out and meeting with people in group settings as well. Relationship building is huge. So meeting people, getting to know them, getting a sense of where they're at, what they might have questions about, what they might need, where the gaps might be. And usually in that time we find two or three other things that they didn't even know they could ask for support with. And then moving forward, we have this ongoing communication. They don't need to get their physician to reach out to me to connect with them. They have my number, my email. They know how to get a hold of me. The part that I love the most about this job is that it feels really relationship-based and it feels like continuous care.
1: Those relationships are so important across the system. And I think the connection of relationships to creating spaces that are culturally safe.
0: Yeah, relationships are central in primary care. And with space, improving space, improving the connection to the land are really important. And if you design space, it can better communicate care, or conversely, the lack of caring. It can communicate the belonging or the lack thereof of belonging. It can communicate an understanding of truth and reconciliation, or not. And both Raina and Gracie's spaces encourage both that connection to the land and to the Indigenous identity while working to maintain safety.
3: Something that I recently noticed about a newly renovated clinic that I really appreciate and and love and wouldn't have thought of before, are spaces for us to meet and have our appointments without medical equipment in the room. It really changes the mood of the appointment and it makes it feel less clinical, it makes it feel maybe less intimidating or scary for people that have those challenges accessing healthcare, and we just have a space where we can sit and we can connect. Even the lighting, the artwork, the mood of the space, I think is really important. But I would have never thought about that until I had access to a space that allowed me to just have those appointments.
1: And I think, you know, those little things like the artwork, the mood, it's so important to think about the full impact of how those small changes can really influence how people feel in a space. Gracie's also been instrumental in the creation of a sacred space in a new primary care clinic in Chilliwack, which opened in May of 2022. So the Chilliwack and Fraser Health Rural Primary Care Center, MOMI IE which means helping one another, has a specific focus on coordinated and culturally safe primary care, including traditional wellness mentors.
2: In the beginning, when I came on board, there was announcement of this new building, and they said, Gracie, can you create a cultural teachings for us? She went in front of the building to help give me a little bit of a vision, and from there, creating a cultural considerations document. And what they shared was, we have space for a sacred space room in the building, and this is a design we have. That has been vetted. This is what a sacred space we would like it to be a vision of. So when you walk in the building, it's public and open to anybody who would like to come in. Within this sacred space room is a beautiful vent. And the vent is to assist with providing smudging so there would be no problems with the air system. So we just close the doors and turn on the vent and do some holistic teachings. With the sacred space room, it's also very inviting because we have boxes of archaeology artifacts can be put in these display windows. And there will be a map of the 22 communities showcasing them along the Fraser River. Throughout the whole building, we have some indigenous artwork. Fred Meiring did some amazing photography and in the entrance he has pictures of indigenous The theme of these pictures are all talking together and it's just it's just beautiful work. And there's beautiful images of the Fraser River and the mountains, the waters and um so it's just such a welcoming space. People are in awe when they come in. And it just really encourages that cultural identity, the connection to the land on how we really want it to be highlighted. We're fortunate to have Chief Angie George Bailey of Achlet's First Nations participate in the blessing of the grounds before anything started. Very, very important following cultural teachings to do that. Laura Wheelock, our special elder and community advisor and a very wonderful mentor who also assisted with the Halkomelem language. So we, we all gathered together and did the ground blessing and also ensured of, you know, when these names of these rooms were incorporated, that they were really well identified to the people that are going to be using these rooms. So ensuring that all cultural aspects were taken care of. When I connect back with elders and hear a little bit of their vision and uphold some of their teachings, or all of their teachings, I should say, it's really humbling to hear. When we had our sacred space opening, my mom of 93 said, I never thought this would ever happen, to have a sacred space connected with primary care services. It was really blessed to hear those words and see Indigenous elders come into the room and be welcomed, be appreciative that this exists. So honestly, traditional wellness practices, being recognized, that's a true and special gift to be able to uphold. It was just so inspiring to hear Gracie talk
1: about how important the opening of this center and the space has been to the nations and people in the area. There was such care and intention taken in the design of the space, but also the protocols and the cultural practices that were part of opening the space.
0: I think that process, when we're rushed, we can often miss. And so it's so good to hear how impactful that is in the opening of the new space. So let's shift and think about the person-focused care portions of the role. What does that look like for an Indigenous liaison role in practice?
1: And we had some great conversations here. Vraina talked about the pacing of care, how her approach to support is to create the space in the experience for Indigenous people to set the pace. So much about healthcare is about speed and efficiency. Increasing access is about increasing numbers. And this comes from the reality of needing to care for huge panels of patients. But then it means it can be really hard to slow things down to allow for the time that might be needed for different kinds of patients to access the services they need.
3: A lot of the things that I'm helping with, you know, we go through the bureaucratic processes and things take time and support needs to be ongoing. But also I think the feedback that I get from people is just wanting to have a team that genuinely feels like they care and that they're not just another person that comes in, gets seen, gets a problem solved, and then they leave. I like to tell people when they come in, this is paced based on what you want to do, what works for you and your timeline there's no rush to get things done. I don't close files and you're discharged and you have to start all over again. We work at the pace of the person because we also need to consider that the nature of the work that we're talking about is usually very sensitive, can be very challenging to discuss, challenging to work on, and it can't be rushed. I like to give an hour Every appointment when I can and we sit and we chat and we connect and it feels really personal, which I think is what people are experiencing not to be the case potentially in other areas of healthcare.
0: Are there any specific things that Gracie or Raina do to support the system and their colleagues around providing culturally safe
1: care? I think there's so much here. So Gracie talked about a couple of initiatives that she led to help with this. One was sharing the seven caring teachings on a card that all healthcare staff carry. And another was, you know, how she introduces new staff to the region.
2: I think a highlight of promoting the seven caring teachings is really important in all the work that I do. What was really a great connection was that, Gracie, we would like to add your seven caring teachings to a little card that goes with all the staff within Fraser Health with all the division staff, with everybody throughout our region and beyond. Can we put those words on a little card? And on the back, have the healing hands of friendship. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds awesome. You know, so that it's a little reminder that every time a health professional is in connection with an indigenous person, that they follow the caring teachings. That was a really big highlight to hear that these words are so important, we want to share with everybody. What I've done as well is when we get new hire on board, I'll take three people in my car and do a driving tour of the communities, right? Get to know who and where Indigenous are. We are all neighbors to each other, very close neighbors. So it's really capturing that building of relationships in as many ways as I can, knowing that we're actually on Suwali territory people will go through a bit of a growing phase of that being comfortable, just like learning how to say the traditional territories. I'm not sure how to say the words of the communities. And then I'll say, I had a challenge in first starting to learn the words of the Inka and in the Fraser Canyon communities. So I too had to go through that learning process and continue to practice. My mom says we all learn from each other and just kind of hold each other up the best way we can and ensuring that these respectful teachings are offered.
0: I really appreciate Gracie's approach to taking new hires out to see the lands of those communities. I wish I had done that when I moved here. It definitely connects you to the place and it helps moving beyond that sort of intellectual knowledge about the different Indigenous communities and then understanding the landscape and the geography, which is so important.
1: And I think when you're living in the kind of spaces that we get to live in, where the seasons have such a big influence on things like people's mood, you really start to appreciate the environment in a different way when you have opportunities to learn from people like Gracie.
0: Sarah, with the breadth, what are some of the trickier parts of these roles? What did we hear were some of the challenges?
1: There's been some really important learning that these roles have come across as they've taken shape in the PCNs. These roles are new. They didn't exist Two years ago, even, Raina shared how to navigate things like sharing in an EMR, how data is collected, stored and shared is complicated by the fact that EMRs are not built with Indigenous people in mind.
3: What this year has been is trying to establish the uniqueness of this role and what that looks like. Because when I'm charting in the electronic medical records of all these clinics and this role is new and there's no procedure of how even charting goes... It's so easy to fit into the way that social work is charting, the different ways notes are being taken, what's being included in those notes. And if I'm just coming in and following suit and doing those things, what is the uniqueness of this role? What is the extra piece that's being provided if I'm simply just doing that? So being sure to include in my notes things that maybe aren't normal social work notes, You know, I include cultural pieces, I make sure their status number is listed in their top information at the header and there's no space for a status number in a lot of those electronic medical records, which is huge. Because that should be utilized all the time and without it being there, often it's overlooked or people even forget to consider it. So maybe my notes are a bit longer than social work notes because I'm including cultural pieces. But also, the catch-22 is having to rewrite my notes and tailoring them to choose what is appropriate. If I have someone who has a difficult relationship with their physician, issues with accessing healthcare, the last thing I want to do is include something in my notes that could impact the relationship with their physician, impact how they feel about coming into the space. So trying to be very clear with the people that I work with, saying, I do chart in the medical record notes of your doctor. We will include whatever is important for them to know and what you would like for them to know.
0: There's so much uniqueness between the various communities, groups, and nations. I mean, just from a resourcing perspective alone, the differing amounts of resource and therefore access can vary so much. And it's not well known across the system how variable it is, even within one larger community or part of a region. raina has been working through some of these system complexities as they create these challenging situations for access to care.
3: Being from the Yukon, a lot of the culture and knowledge that I know is very Yukon First Nation community-specific. And a lot of this year moving here and being new to the Valley, I have to include that time for me to know the community as well. I find that if you're doing this work, it's really important to not just set up shop and get to work because the people that are accessing the care have been impacted by the unique specifics to their community. But also wanting to acknowledge that a lot of people we work with are also similar to me and they're new to the valley, they're new to the area. There can sometimes be a gap in understanding the resources that people can access. I find that there seems to be a lot of blanket statement or blanket understanding of resources and what people can access and maybe not acknowledging or seeing the uniqueness of every community. For example, if someone is from a northern community and they have, as opposed to a status number, it's called an N number and physicians refer them to First Nations Health Authority for coverage. I had a patient who was submitting reimbursement for a prescription or glasses and was submitted to First Nations Health Authority. Sent back, not approved. They have an N number, which means they have to access non-insured health benefits. But that wasn't known, so we submitted to non-insured health benefits. It bounced back because non-insured health benefits saw them as a BC resident, said that what they were seeking reimbursement for was covered. BC Healthcare doesn't cover that, so we had to resubmit it again. And we have this elder sitting, waiting for reimbursement for four months. And so those are the things, the barriers, the gaps, and this person living in a remote area without access to an email address, a fax machine. It's things I see all the time where people are just falling through the cracks because there's these little things that are being missed.
0: I really think this is an important reminder for all of us. There are systems behind the scenes that are making potentially dangerous decisions based on assumptions about eligibility. And we know that Indigenous people accessing healthcare in BC come from so many different backgrounds. And these layers of bureaucracy, Sarah, I mean, they're provincial, they're federal, they're local. It all slows down and impedes access to care. So there's a very valuable navigation component here, too, that the Indigenous workers are often doing.
1: And that navigation piece just comes up time and again, right? Additional supports, anything that can help a patient navigate the system, has so much value. But I think particularly for Indigenous patients, that navigation support, because there's additional systems that they're navigating, is just so important. We also talked a bit about how these roles might connect with other roles in teams. And Reina had this to say.
3: There are many instances where if one of the social workers shares a client or a patient that I'm also working with, we will meet together if the client is interested and we can do a collaborative appointment. I've had appointments where it's myself, the patient, and their family doctor in the room and we're talking together. And I have people that I work with that maybe struggle a bit with their relationship with their physician and even to just have me on the phone Listening, I don't even say anything. They just know that there's a support there. And it feels like with this broad open role and having access to the other primary care network team members, being able to reach out to them, get a social worker's perspective, get a mental health clinician's perspective, a pharmacist, that teen piece has been so essential. I feel so supported in being able to connect with those other professions that have expertise that I don't. And we're able to provide, you know, a really well-rounded support network for the people that are reaching out for care, which is a really great feeling.
0: It's so encouraging to know that these supportive roles are becoming more common for patients. And I know it's early days. I've worked with an outreach team a couple of years ago and had the privilege of working with an Indigenous support worker in the team. And that we were able to collaborate to provide more fulsome care was a very large part due to the trust developed through the Indigenous support worker with our clients. His early connection, Sarah, built that trust. And then there was this umbrella of trust that extended across the team. And he was able to bring patients to us or invite us to come out with him. And then that umbrella of trust would allow us to then start building our own relationships with clients and patients.
1: That kind of bridging role, I think, is so important. We also asked Gracie and Raina what advice they would give to PCNs who are considering adding an Indigenous-specific wellness-focused role. Here's what they had to say.
3: My advice would be acknowledging the need for more support in that area, but also diverse support. And if you're able to access funding for more than one position that is catering towards the Indigenous population in a community, I would say go for it. It would be great to see maybe a Métis individual providing support to Métis people because they experience different circumstances for accessing healthcare than maybe someone who has their status. And for people that have none of those supports due to colonization and issues around getting certification in the Indian Act. But I would say that for my role, there's a huge need and I often find myself like wishing that there were more of me. There are so many people that would benefit from this kind of support because managing and navigating the healthcare system, especially the extra steps, that is a learning curve. And for a lot of people, support is so needed. And you know, someone to remind people that you still can access cultural support and indigenous support, no matter what stage of your exploration of your cultural identity is. You know, people that feel maybe that they can't access support because they don't have their status or they're maybe not as cultural or they don't really know how they identify or it feels inappropriate for them to access support. Just to be a support that reminds anyone that no matter where you are in that cultural exploration journey, you have a right and you can access those supports. They're there for you no matter what stage you're at.
2: It's very important to ensure that our elders really have a voice when we talk about health and wellness within our Indigenous communities. You know, we hear uh, no decision without us. I also hear the words of common approaches. Create those common approaches to Indigenous health and wellness together, and then you'll come up with solutions that will work. That are realistic, that can really identify the ways and means of supporting everybody.
0: I'm hopeful as a system that we are and will continue to recognize just how much value these roles can bring into primary care. Sarah, I hope we can continue to make these investments and fund different approaches to care that are led by the unique needs of Indigenous peoples and focused on culturally safe care.
1: I think that's just so important where we are right now, both in kind of the transformation of primary care. And then also if we think more broadly about reconciliation and the steps that I think need to be taken in BC and in Canada to really move forward in that direction. So let's do a quick summary of what we learned today. First, Indigenous support roles might span the whole system of care and are responsive to the unique needs of each community and nation they serve. So they won't ever look the same, and I think that's a good thing.
0: And second, and related to that, is That not only does it need to be unique to the community, but designed and guided by the community, engaging elders and Indigenous people to discuss what's needed while things are being planned and implemented.
1: And third, I think care practice between Indigenous support roles and patients needs to be grounded in relational care. So people need to have this deep understanding of history, careful consideration of space, to really allow the care processes to unfold with Indigenous patients setting the pace.
0: And if there's a small first thing that a provider can do today, I think it's to listen and ask people's history and listen to what stories are told. So thanks for joining us today on this episode. We'll be back next week when we talk about some primary care unicorns.
1: That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Until then, we'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at isu at familymed.ubc.ca with any thoughts about today's episode or what you'd like to see next season. Thanks for listening.